Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 1. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 1. We are starting this book of 1 Corinthians, seeing the Apostle Paul taking pen and paper in hand under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and writing a letter to this church for the purpose of correcting their behavior. We saw that as he's starting the letter this morning, that he is trying to um, be gracious to them. He's telling them things that he is thankful for because he is going to tell the church some very hard things, some things that they needed to hear, some pointed things. And as we continue in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number one, we can see that immediately he dives right in, getting to some of the heart of the issues within the church of Corinth. Now remember the setting that we have is that the apostle Paul has written this letter. He has asked that all the people who are members of the church of Corinth to be gathered together. And now they are taking this scroll and they're beginning to read this letter out loud to the hearers. And so as the hearers are listening to it, the very first time they're hearing it, I want you to think in mind their reactions, their response, how they are receiving this as they're getting this letter from the great apostle Paul, the one who helped start this church, who led many of them to the Lord and discipled quite a few of them. Notice if you don't mind in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and let's start in verse number 10. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10, the Bible says this, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. 
And if you have a habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 1? The book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 1, and notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 10, the phrase, there be no divisions among you. No divisions among you. And with this, the Apostle Paul begins to hit the very first issue that is plaguing the church of Corinth. And he states this, no divisions among you. No divisions among you. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you that we could come up to you even now and that we could look at you and that we could be guided by you. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us even now to keep our eyes upon you. I'm asking that you would give me much grace today that we could be able to open up your word and point up to you that you would give grace to do so. Lord, I need you right now. I ask that you fill me with your spirit, that you could get your own work accomplished and that you would do a mighty work even through this church with the understanding of the principle given here. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the Apostle Paul is taking pen and paper in hand, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing to a very troubled church. This is a church that has many, many issues going on. One of the first and main issues that is going on is that there are divisions within the church. Now remember the church of Corinth is about 120 people. It's a very large church for the ancient world. And so with 120 people, they've kind of broken up into factions. And these factions have kind of solidified and they've tried to stand their own ground, to be prepared to fight, to, to push their own agenda. As we start this off, the first thing we want to show you is the divisions in the church, the divisions of the church. The Apostle Paul, as he begins to write to them, he says in verse 10, now I beseech you. That word beseech carries the idea of strong begging. I beseech you. I'm pointing out, please don't do this. I beg you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of, my, uh, of you, my brethren, that of them that are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. This idea of contentions carries the idea of quarreling, of struggles, of strife. There's actually fighting in the church. What are these divisions? Notice, if you don't mind, as Paul lists them out, verse number 12. Now I say and say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. And another group, I am of Paulus. And another group, and I of Cephas. And a fourth group, I of Christ. Here Paul lists the four different factions, the four different camps, the four different cliques that have now formed within the church of Corinth. Each one of them had their different flavor, their different perspective, their different stands. The first one is the Paul crowd. I am of Paul. Now remember the Apostle Paul was the founder of the church of Corinth. He was the one who went there, started it. He's the one who worked there for a year, eight months. He 
led people to the Lord. He discipled the people. He worked very, very hard. And so there was a group of people that said, you know what? I stand with Paul. I stand with Paul. Listen, we're not going to do anything that's going to be counteracted to what we think Paul wanted. We understand that this is how things used to be. And this is how things are going to continue to be. That the, <laughs> has this idea, we ain't ever done it like that before. We're not going to try it now. They want to continue on. If you could pause and allow a, a joke. When I was in the Air Force, we would have that all the time. Why do we do it this way? And they go, well, because it's always been done that way. We found out through research how Air Force policy was made. What happened is that they grabbed a group of monkeys and they put them together in a cage. And in this large cage, they would have a nice uh, ramp. And up at the top of the ramp would be a bunch of bananas. So the monkeys, when they would see the bananas, the first thing they do is get hungry and they want to rush up to go get the bananas. But every time a monkey would go up to grab the bananas, they would take a fire hose and spray them down and they would tumble down <laughs> into the cage. And the monkeys realized that every time they went to go get the bananas, the fire hose would come out and they get sprayed. So eventually they would no longer attempt to go get the bananas. What would happen after that is that they would replace one of the monkeys with a different monkey who didn't know anything. The monkey would get in there and see the bananas and immediately want to go grab the bananas. So as he would go up, there would be no fire hose, no outside source, but the rest of the monkeys would pull the one monkey down saying, no, we're not going to do that. Even though nothing may have happened, they just wouldn't do that. So they would take another one of the original monkeys, replace him out with a new monkey. The new monkey would go in and go, hey, I see the bananas, I'm hungry. He would start to rush up. And as he would rush up, all the other monkeys would hold him down and say, no, we're not going to do that. Keep pulling him down, not allow him to go, even though nothing was going to happen. Eventually, they would replace the monkeys one by one until you would have a new group of monkeys that was all, none of them were original. And again, none of them would go up to go get the bananas, even if nothing would ever happen. Why? Because it's always been done this way. We're going to continue to do so. Well, that's how Air Force policy is made. But that's also what churches do too. We ain't ever done it like this before, and we're not going to try something different. This is how it's always been. We're not modifying. They are big on tradition. This is how it needs to be. This is how it's always going to be. We're not going to try something else. This is the, I'm a Paul group. I'm with the founder. I'm with how it's always been. I'm with the tradition. Let's just stay and keep it just as it is. But Paul wasn't the only one that had this group. By the way, what did Paul think about this? Well, as Paul continued this, notice what he said in verse number 13. Is Christ divided? He starts off with a question. Now, is Jesus Christ divided or is he one whole being. Well, of course he's one whole being. We don't have a piece of Christ there and a piece of Christ there and a different piece of Christ over there. Christ is a whole being. So is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? That's a good question. Paul was not crucified. Paul didn't die for anyone's sins. Paul was not happy at all that they were trying to lift his name up as the banner of their little group. He said, and <coughs> Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, listen, 
I baptize very few people, and right now I'm very glad I didn't baptize a lot of you. I baptize this people, this people, and he goes on, oh, the, these people too. I don't remember if there was anyone else, but I didn't baptize a lot of people. And he says, I'm glad right now, because I didn't baptize you into the cult of Paul. I wanted you to come to know Jesus Christ. I came to preach Christ and him crucified, not the apostle Paul. I didn't come to preach the cult of Paul. I didn't come to say you need to follow after me, period. I want to train you how to follow after Christ. Paul was not happy at all that there was a group that tried to invoke his name. Paul was not honored. He was mortified. Why in the world do you want to put my name in this? I want you to follow Christ. Don't bring me into this. Well, not only did you have the Paul division, but you had an Apollos crowd. Now, Apollos was an eloquent speaker from Alexandria. Aquila and Priscilla got a hold of him and preached unto him uh, the word of God more perfectly. And he became a great evangelist. He was a very studied and eloquent man. He was the intellectual pastor, the special guest evangelist. And so what would happen with this type of crowd is that you would have a lot of pride, which Corinth was known for. And they would say, I know more than my pastor. I watched my favorite preacher on YouTube and this is what he believes. My pastor, he just, he just doesn't know enough. So I know more than my pastor and you need to stick with me and we'll go ahead and teach our pastor what we should do. And so you got this crowd here that says, I stand with my favorite evangelist. I stand with my favorite YouTube preacher. I stand with my favorite church that I don't attend. And they got this whole crowd that thinks that they're better and smarter and more studied than everyone else in the church and that the people in the church need to follow after them because they're better. So you had a Paul crowd. We ain't ever done it like this before. We stand with Paul. We stand with the founder. This is how it's always been. And this is how we're going to stay. You have the Apollos crowd. Well, this is what my favorite preacher believes. This is what my favorite internet says. This is what YouTube says. This is what Wikipedia says. I'm smarter than you. We need to follow what I say because I'm smarter. Then you had the Cephas crowd. I of Cephas. Now Cephas is a different name for Peter. Now, as far as we can tell, Peter, the apostle Peter, has never shown up to Corinth. He's never been there, never showed up, never preached a conference, never was there. Well, then what's the Cephas crowd? Well, remember, Peter comes from the church of Jerusalem. And in the church of Jerusalem is made up of mostly Jewish Hebrew people. And the Jewish Hebrew people still followed a lot of the Old Testament principles because they were Jewish. Now, what happened is that there was people called Judaizers that would travel to all of the other churches that the Apostle Paul helped start. And they would try to teach the people that in order for you to be totally right with God, you need to follow the law. That if you're not circumcised, you need to get circumcised. Hey, if you're not obeying the Sabbath, you need to start obeying the Sabbath. That the Old Testament's in the Bible, you need to follow what the Old Testament says. Hey, you know what? Give up your pork chops. Stop doing pork chops. Uh, you know what? Stop wearing polyester. You need to just wear wool. You know, they would start doing all of these things, mixing in and confusing people and adding a lot of things to religion. Now, Peter was not for this. 
but they were putting Peter's name to it. I'm of Cephas. This is what the traditions say. We don't care what the Bible says and we don't care what the pastor says. This is what our traditions say. We want to follow the Old Testament. We want to follow the law. By the way, if they followed the law, they wouldn't enjoy that. The law leads to death. But they said, we, this is, we like tradition. We want to follow these old paths. We want to follow it this way. Now, again, on the surface, they all sound good, but they're all wrong. Then you had a fourth group and fourth division. And this was the Christ crowd. Once again, we see the divisions. Verse 12. Now I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Now, this is the worst crowd. Now, it sounds like, well, they're joining with Christ. Wouldn't wouldn't you want to be a part of that? I'm with Jesus. Well, that was the problem. Their inference was, I'm with Jesus. You're all wrong. I'm of Christ. We are the super spiritual ones. You need to follow us because we're super spiritual. All of you are wrong. And just because you don't follow Paul, you should follow Christ. That means you follow what we do. We're the spiritual ones. Follow us. Now, again, they all sound good on the surface. And this is how they've gotten all the rest of the church to join their divisions. The entire, there's not a single person who's left over. Everyone's had to draw a line in the sand. Everyone's had to join a group. Everyone had to be a part of the faction. And can you imagine? The Apostle Paul has written this letter. And he's gathered all of the people of the church of Corinth and made them sit. And you can imagine that like attracts like. You can imagine there's four corners to the church now. (laughs) There's the Paul crowd. There's the Cephas crowd. There's the Apollos crowd. And there's the super spiritual I'm of Christ crowd. I can almost imagine when they start reading this, for it has been declared unto you, my brethren. And he goes on, he says, and some say of you that I'm of Paul. And someone who is half listening says, amen. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's, shut up, shut up. But they're all sitting in their sections. And Paul's trying to direct them and say that there be no divisions. You'd almost imagine that there's a palpable division. That just earlier that morning, there was a fight in the parking lot between the Cephas crowd and the Apollos crowd. There was a fist fight. Upset, mad, and angry. Just ready to go to war. You say, churches don't do this all the time. True story A pastor made a foolish decision. He thought he was making a good decision, being a good pastor. They were going to put brand new carpet in the church building. And so he thought he would give the church a a, a choice. He said, we're going to put a purple carpet, a red carpet, (coughs) a blue carpet, And just for the fun of it, he put the ugliest green shag carpet just as a gag. And so what happened is that people started saying, well, I like the blue carpet. I like the red carpet. The purple carpet looks really good. And what happens is they started to formulate their little groups. And next thing you know, you had the red carpet crowd just, you know, gathering up things. We should really have it red. And then you had the blue carpet crowd and... 
And they were starting to fight. And as the story goes, true story, there was even fist fights over the carpet. And they couldn't sway anybody. They were just deadlocked on these carpets. So finally, in order to overthrow, they started to try to get the red carpet to join with the purple carpet. And they tried to get together. And finally, just to settle everything, he says, if you go to the church today, beautiful, well done uh, <laughs> architecture. The walls are nice, windows, pews and everything. But it's sitting on the ugliest green shag carpet you can imagine. <laughs> Just because there was fights over carpet. What happens is that some of the littlest things people will go to war over and they will make it a big fight. Christians do this all the time. And there's divisions. And in a lot of churches, they're divided up. I'm a Paul. I'm with the founder. This is the way it has been. And this is the way it's always going to be. You always will have a group of people that seem to have their favorite internet preacher. I was watching the internet and pastor doesn't know this. Or pastor doesn't do this right. According to this internet preacher, this is what he should believe. Then you always have this. Well, this is what my Bible college said. This is what the Bible college down south does. This is what they should do. And this is what we should follow. Then you got the super spiritual. Well, I'm of Christ. All of you sinners are beneath me. If you are truly spiritual, you'll follow after us. And this is what kills a church. Paul says there needs to be no divisions. And yet... All over the place through churches, there are divisions, just dividing it. And if a church is divided, it cannot move forward. It cannot accomplish what God has given it to do. They're too busy fighting amongst themselves. I was reading a satirical article the other day about <laughs> an unbeliever follows after Christ after watching a bunch of Christians argue amongst themselves on the internet. Sar uh, satirical article. The idea is it that with all the infighting that we have, I'm sure the lost sinners are going, oh, I want to join a church like that. That's exactly what I want. I want to join somewhere where there's going to be lots of fighting. I want to go somewhere where you could walk in there and you could see people staring at each other. That's, that's what I want. I, I want to join a church like that. Because there's no unity in churches, we've also lost power. And it's nothing but pride. Only by pride cometh forth contentions. And the church of Corinth is full of pride. So, what is the answer to the divisions? What is the answer to these divisions? If you don't mind, I'd like to take 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 10, and let's explore what is the answer to these divisions. The first thing is, remember that we're all family. Remember that we're all family. What is a local church? How do we define a New Testament church according to the Bible? We could define it like this. A New Testament church is a group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. The group of baptized believers. 
If before someone could follow in believers' baptism, they first must accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are adopted into the family of God. We are brothers and sisters. If you've been saved, we are family. And because we're family and God has put us together inside of a local church, we need to remember that we are family and that when we fight with each other, we're fighting against our brother. We're fighting against our sister, that all families should have a unity with it. We understand there may be some disagreements, but you should get over it quickly because we are family. There's something about being part of a family. That you forgive each other right away. That you overlook offenses. That you don't allow them to build up. That if we are going to have a unity within the church, we need to remember we're family. We're not a collection of strangers. We're united because of the fellowship of Jesus Christ. He died for us. He paid our price. And we had to accept him the same way. By faith through grace. That there are none of us that are perfect. There's none righteous, no, not one. That we're family. We're sinners that had to accept Christ. And God has graciously placed us in his fa- in his, to his family. We're co-heirs with Jesus. Notice if you don't mind as we go on verse 10 that we see something else. Not only are we family, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren. So it carries the idea of family. Now I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. That you all speak the same thing. What should be the same thing that we speak? Now remember the definition of a local church, of a New Testament church. A group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. That if we are going to speak the same thing, this carries with it that we're carrying the same goal. What is the goal? To accomplish the Great Commission. If we're all trying to do what God has given us to do, to reach souls by uh, reaching them with the gospel and then teaching others and disciple them how to do the same thing, there's plenty of things for us to do to get that thing accomplished. Where do divisions come from, by the way? It's when we start wanting to do our own thing. There's no room for our own ministry. You understand within a local church, there's one ministry many aspects of that one ministry, but we don't have our individual ministries. We have the one thing that God has given us to do, and we find our part in what God has given us to do. Many of us can have the part of discipling people ourselves. Many of us can have the part of passing out tracts, inviting people to church. Many of us may have the privilege of teaching a Sunday school class and on and on it goes. We have one thing that God has given us to do and we're finding our part in that one thing. That we all speak the one thing, the same thing. We need to get the gospel out. And there becomes a unity when we're trying to get accomplished the same goal, that we speak the same thing. If someone wants to try to hijack it and say, I don't believe that we should try to reach souls anymore. Let's concentrate on a music ministry. Why? Well, just because it sounds good. Well, then we're going to run into problems. There's going to be a division. We need to have the same goal to reach people, to obey what God has given us to do in accomplishing the Great Commission. 
That brings a unity together when we're trying to do the same thing. It brings a division from each other when we're trying to do our own thing. As we go on in verse number 10, we see something else. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak all the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. That you be perfectly joined together. This carries with it a medical term. It carries with it to submit to the surgery of God. Submit to the surgery of God. Remember that what a local church is, is a group of people that God has placed to fit jointly together. We all have a place. God is a master builder and he knows how to put us together. So we fit together perfectly in his local body, in his representation on this earth for what God has given us to do. This medical term means to set a broken bone. So what is setting a broken bone? Let's say that someone had a broken leg. A doctor would set the bone. What does that mean? They break it back into place. So it's set the way that it should be. There's a process. Now, we know that the medical process, if you're going to set a broken leg, there may be a little bit of pain involved. But you know what? There's always going to be friction if we're going to put things together, right? A husband and wife is supposed to be put together as one person. Isn't there friction trying to get them back together? Trying to become the same mind? Trying to be the one in spirit, soul, and body? There's friction, right? Every husband and wife knows that there's friction, right? There's times that there's going to be disagreements, but the goal is to get you put together. That happens within a church. Notice none of it it's saying that if we're going to be a church, we have to be perfect. No, but we have to submit to the surgery so we can be grafted together and be put in our parts in what God has given us to do in accomplishing the Great Commission to help us move forward. It is God doing the surgery. We're the one doing the joining. We're part of the bones. We're getting put together. We need to submit ourselves and let God do that surgery to graft us, to maybe shave off some parts, take off the infected tissue so we fit together the way that we ought. God knows what he's doing. How can we be perfectly joined together? Notice again, as it says here, but that ye be perfectly joined together, first of all, in the same mind. In the same mind. This carries the idea that we think the same way. Well, what way are we supposed to think? Well, the book of Philippians tells us this, that the same mind of Christ is the same mind that we're supposed to have. In that passage in Philippians, it says the word mind like four times, four or five times, that you be like-minded. How do we get to be like-minded? Quite simply, by keeping our eyes on the Lord. That if every single one of us are keeping our eyes on the Lord and we're making him our goal, we're following after him, we're going to move forward together. The goal has to be God. If a church is going to have unity, it only comes when we're all looking at the Lord together. And if we're all looking at the Lord together, we're going to move forward. We're going to watch God accomplish things. We're not going to have divisions. The problem comes when we're no longer looking at the Lord, but we're looking at ourselves. That's where the divisions come from. The solution is quite simple. Die to self. Keep your eyes on the Lord. 
Let him be God. Let him guide us. Let him lead us the way that we ought to be. God knows what we can do and what we can't do. Let him guide. This becomes a very important deal. Not only having the same mind, but notice this, and in the same judgment. In the same judgment. The idea of judgment here carries the idea of discernment, carries the idea of convictions. That we need to be the same in our goals, in our convictions, our judgments, our discernments. What does this mean? This means that we need to make a stand on the Bible. We agree with what the Bible says. Now we should have convictions. What is a conviction? We know in the Bible that there are biblical commandments. We can't sway from those. Like thou shall not commit adultery. All right. There's no asterisk there. There's no exception. That's a commandment. Inside of the Bible, there are also biblical principles. These principles cannot be changed. They cannot bend. There are principles that we find. They may not be clearly stated, but they're clearly put as a principle. For example, there is a principle of modesty and identity in the Bible. That's a clear principle. It's clearly taught. Then what we have is our convictions. Our convictions are our application based off of the Bible commandments and the Bible principles. Convictions are like road um, markers. They're like, um, like, <laughs> help me out, on a bridge you would have the guardrails. There we go, guardrails. They keep us from going out of bounds. They keep us inbounds. They keep us protected. Now we know that in individual families, you may put convictions at different place. But within a local church, we should have some convictions. And sometimes we may have someone that has a different conviction than us. We don't try to bring our convictions in. We allow the pastor and the leadership to pray and set those convictions and we submit to there. And if you have stronger convictions at home, praise the Lord. But we're not going to fight over those convictions. We are going to allow God to guide us through the pastor and biblical leadership to set up those convictions. Why is it important that you let the pastor kind of guide on this? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews uh, 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you. Why? As they must give an account. <laughs> for, for they watch over your souls as they must give an account that they may do their job with joy and not with grief for this is unprofitable for you. Notice it says that they may give an account, that they must give an account. Who did the pastor give an account to? To God. You know, one day you are going to be glad that you're not pastor because you're going to stand before God and give an account for your own life. That's going to be bad enough. For a pastor, he has to stand before God a second time, not only for his own life, but also for the accountability of the church. That's why it's important to allow God, uh, the pastor, to, to be guided by God because he has to stand before God and give an account, not you. That's a big deal. And so as the pastor's trying to pray and trying to guard the church, he can look for wisdom. He has wise counsel around him. But when it's all said and done, God is holding the pastor responsible. And the pastor is going to set up some things. We make applications within our church that we have employed. 
it is a good thing, but we submit to those. Again, you could disagree and you're allowed to disagree, but when it's all said and done, we're going to trust God. We're going to put together. We're not going to go to war over these things. We're going to keep our eyes on the Lord and keep moving forward. So many people like to fight over small little issues that don't really matter when it's all said and done. Can we just let God be God and let God guide us to the pastor? And if God wanted you to be a pastor, then he would put you to be a pastor somewhere. I'm not trying to be me now. We're trying to have a unity, trying to uh, move together. <laughs> we can't just do our own thing. We have to be put together to follow after God. And God is able to do this. For the good of the local church, there are some things that we have to set aside and we put aside to allow God to work. A good example of this would be Jesus Christ and the 12 disciples. Later on this year, we're going to do a character study on each one of the 12 disciples. Now, if I was to ask you to name the 12 disciples, most of you would go, okay, I could do this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, <laughs> Acts, no. Well, if you went Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you only got two correct. <laughs> two of those people we named were not of the 12 disciples. But studying the disciples' life, we could see that they weren't just same people. Many of them came from different things. May I give an example? One of the disciples you had was Simon the Zealot. It mentions him as Simon the Zealot. Who was Simon the Zealot? He was called Simon the Zealot because he was actually part of an extreme political party called the Zealots. This political party of the Zealots hated the Roman government. And what they hated most of all was the Jewish people who joined the Roman government to take advantage of the other Jewish people. For example, tax collectors. And the zealots would be known to assassinate any Jewish collaborator. And the zealots would do what they could to stir up people to cause an insurrection to try to overthrow or kick Rome out. Now, that's a pretty extreme view, isn't it? Now, even when Simon got saved, did he still have a lot of those political leanings? Do you think those things are pretty entrenched him if he's still called Simon the Zealot? Good. So we got Simon the Zealot. Now, also as part of one of Jesus' 12 disciples, you had a disciple called Levi. He's better known as Matthew. His job occupation? Tax collector. Publican. The same guy that would be assassinated by zealots. And so Jesus Christ has within his 12 disciples two people in two different political parties with two different political leanings, two extreme leanings. You had one that would assassinate tax collectors. Then you had tax collectors who, by the way, when they were hired by the Roman government, they were allowed to charge the people as much as they wanted as long as there was no rebellion. So do you think a lot of tax collectors took advantage of that? As long as Rome got their part, they could charge more than was required. And most tax collectors did. Zacchaeus was a good example of that. Matthew was a tax collector and he was rich. Even if somehow he was a good tax collector, do you think there's a lot of people who still hate tax collectors? Well, let's try it. Do you hate tax collectors? Even if you may have not met one face to face? I mean, who likes the tax collector? If you ever got something that was audited, would you say, oh, God bless them? 
probably not your first thing. All right. So we can understand that. So do you think that there was some nights? I know the Bible doesn't go through a lot of uh, talk about the 12 disciples and their interpersonal relationships. But do you think there was a couple times that there were some heated discussions between Simon and Matthew? Do you think that maybe there were some political leanings that would keep coming up that the rest of the disciples were like, shut up, please stop. And they want to keep, you know, hammering home, maybe just one of them. You think that happened? Does that happen today? Can people be political, two different political leanings inside of a church like this? Yeah. And are they allowed to come? Absolutely. But what do you do with that? Well, we're not going to pick a political party. We're going to keep our eyes on the Lord. We got to keep looking at him. We got to keep looking at him. That's the idea here is that even Jesus as an example, and aren't you glad he was a good example? He just didn't pick people who would just agree with him. He picked people that had different views and brought them together because they all were looking at him. That's the same inside of a church. When people get saved, does that mean they automatically have a different way of thinking? No. No? It takes time to develop. You give them enough time in the Bible, we will all become more like Christ. That's the goal. And our thinking will change. But we don't make a big fight over political parties, over this and that. We're going to say, let's keep looking at Jesus and let's move forward together. And we're going to let God change us. We're going to let him set the bone. We're going to let him do the surgery. We're going to let him change our mind. We're just going to keep looking at the Lord. We're not going to have political rallies. We're not going to uh, say which one's better, Avon or whatever else. We're not even going to fight over sports team like the Packers and Cowboys. And we're not going to go to war over it. We're going to say, keep your eyes on the Lord. Does that make sense? This is how we keep unity in church. Do you think there are some people during playoff season that churches are ripped apart for something that doesn't have any religion whatsoever? Except, you know, football religion. (coughs) People will fight and go to war over so many stupid things. Here, how do we stop divisions? Keeping our eyes on the Lord. Realizing that we're part of the same family speak the same thing, meaning that we're going to accomplish a great commission, do the thing that God's given it to us, that we're going to be perfectly joined together. Let God do the surgery. Let God put us together, that we're going to have the same mind keeping up to Jesus Christ, that we're going to have the same judgment, the same convictions. We're going to allow God to guide the pastor and that we're going to submit ourselves. We're going to follow together, keeping our eyes on him and allowing God to change us. But there's one more thing we want to see here. How do we keep from having divisions in a church like ours? How do we keep and heal a church that may have divisions? As we've gone through this list, there's one more thing. Someone needs to be a Chloe. Someone needs to be a Chloe. What do we mean by that? Notice with me verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there were contentions among you. Now, someone said, I can imagine there was some people in the church of Corinth that really wanted to go threaten Chloe. You tattletale, why'd you have to go off? But you understand at this time, there wasn't much of the New Testament written at all. By the time 1 Corinthians is written, you have the book of James. You have the book of James. Well, that's not a lot of New Testament scripture to find out how to operate as a church. 
So what did Chloe go to? She went to an apostle, a biblical authority who would be able to get God's word on the matter. Now today we don't have apostles, but you know what we do have? We have a completed word of God. And that someone needs to be a Chloe and says, you know what? We're just going to agree with what the Bible says. We're just going to stand in what the Bible says. And if the Bible says something different than what I believe, I'm going to choose the Bible. And if the Bible says something different than what you believe, you're going to choose the Bible. We need someone to go back and say, we're going to stand on the Bible. If you could forgive the illustration, Pastor Sexton, who just went home to be with the Lord, when he went up to New Jersey to go pastor, there was lots of trouble in the church there in Patterson, New Jersey, in the shadow of New York City. He had problems with a piano player and he had problems with other stuff. And as he began to pastor and tried to set things in order, as we said today, one of the hardest things for a pastor to do is to set things in order. And they had been without a pastor for a while. So there was some bad habits and stuff that was set up. And as he's trying to be pastor and set things in order, there are going to be people in the divisions that were not happy with what Pastor Sexton did. And so one day, Pastor Sexton was invited after a service uh, to have an appointment, and he didn't realize the appointment was a special meeting where everyone was there except for him. And they brought him in, and they closed the ranks, so he's in the middle, and everyone's standing around him in a big circle. Not a very fun experience in a brand new church with a brand new pastor and trying to figure out what's going on. And as they surrounded him, they had different gripes and different things. And he tried to listen to them and tried to uh, hear what they said. Then at the end, he says, listen. And what he did is he took his Bible, put it on the ground. Then he kneeled on his Bible and said, how about this? Let's just stand on the Bible. Whatever the Bible says, that's what we'll do. Whatever the Bible says, That's what we're going to agree on. Let's just agree on the Bible. And he said an amazing thing happened is that one by one, almost like the woman taken in the very act of adultery and Jesus wrote in the sand, one by one, they just started just walking out. Griefs, arguments, disputations evaporated away. And he was able to go and move the church forward and Watch God work while he was there as the pastor. But that was what, there was a lot of divisions, a lot of strife. What was the solution? We're going to stand on the Bible. And that's what we have to do is that we're going to go run to what the Bible says. And if the Bible says something different than I believe, I'm going to change and believe the Bible. The Bible says something different than what you believe, you're going to change and believe the Bible. Let's just stand on where the Bible stands. And as long as we could look at the Lord and keep our eyes on him, as long as we could have the same purpose and the same goal, as long as we could stand on the same book, we're going to have some unity and we're going to get rid of the divisions that may be in the church. We're going to set aside the contentions as long as we keep looking at the Lord. And so as the apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, he's writing to a fractured church, a church full of pride, a church full of contentions, a church full of strife, that they divided themselves up into four different groups. And these four groups are not getting along. And what's, can you imagine the rest of the community hearing about the fist fight in the parking lot of the church? Not a good testimony. The apostle Paul says the solution is not to execute the one group, Not to exile the one group. 
What's the solution? To get everyone to keep looking at the same thing. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. And as long as we're all keeping our eyes on Jesus and following after him, by default, we're going to have unity as we go forward together. Now, I've enjoyed pastoring the Riverview Baptist Church these years now. I'm thankful, Lord, for it. And God has given us a sense of unity. I enjoy being here because we're not fist fighting. And if there's some fist fighting going on, I don't want to know about it right now. Don't tell me after service. But we've been having a spirit of unity and it's been great. We feel like we can accomplish things together with the Lord's help that we're even looking for impossible tasks now. How are we going to keep this? Because Satan wants to get rid of it. How are we going to keep it? We have to make a choice that we're going to keep looking at the Lord. We have to make a choice that we're going to keep standing on the Bible. And this is where we're going to agree at. We're going to make a choice that we're going to move forward together. Set aside some of these stuff that really don't need to be fought over. And we're going to let God do the surgery. Let God do the fixing. Let God do the setting of the bone. And we on purpose are going to follow after him. It's all about him. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. Let's just move forward together, keeping our eyes on Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.